when we get out chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, but one or two things here which are interesting. This just came in today. Hindu, Muslim and Jewish leaders bless Catholic high school students. This came from the Catholic News Agency site. An interfaith prayer service at a prominent Nevada Catholic high school brought together leaders from different denominations and religions to bless the students. Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu and Buddhist leaders gathered at Bishop Manog High School for the blessing ceremony. We commit ourselves to persevere in constant prayer for unity within the human race and through concrete gestures of reconciliation and dialogue to seek to bring forth peace in our world, they said. The service was organized by Father Charles Durante, pastor of St. Teresa of Villa Catholic Community in Carson City. He began the prayer service by invoking the Holy Spirit, saying, we start our prayer by recognizing that we are in God's presence. A local rabbi performed a Hebrew recitation, while a Hindu chaplain recited Sanskrit siyokas uh, from the Rig Veda. There was also a Buddhist text reading, along with a reading from the letter to the Thessalonians, from an Episcopalian minister. An Iman also gave a reflection address quoting the Quran. Iman Abdul Bargarethi uh, stated, May God continue today the work of reconciliation begun by great leaders of faith. While chaplain Raja Zed, the Hindu chaplain, said, Whatever divides us might be overcome through wisdom, love and truth. Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, Mormon and Presbyterian ministers also said prayers and addressed the students. And so it goes on. This whole thing is quickening up. But here's an interesting thing. Uh, I think this is very interesting. Um, whether or not you are a student of prophecy, a conspiracy theorist, or dabble in the art of biblical numerology, you may find interesting or disturbing the fact that a motion calling for the disestablishment of the Church of England has been listed in the House of Commons as number 666, the number of the beast in Revelation. According to Ruth Gledhill, regional religion correspondent of the Times, Labour Minister of Parliament John Austin, who has repeatedly tabled early-day motions urging disestablishment, put down his latest motion last night as MPs debated scrapping Britain's blasphemy laws. The motion appeared on the House of Commons order paper numbered 666, the number associated with the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Some scholars believe 666 referred to the Emperor Nero, uh, Gledhill reported. The King James Bible, if you look at Revelation chapter um, 13 you'd see what it says about this number uh, 666 Revelation chapter 13 and reading um, about it's about the Antichrist who is going to come into the world 
And verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or on their forehead. And that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark, or the mark of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. And the strange thing was that this, this early day motion has been given the number 666. Bob Russell, Liberal Democrat MP for Colchester, one of the signatories said, it is incredible that a motion like this should have by chance acquired this significant number. This number is supposed to be the mark of the devil. He's the devil, the Antichrist actually is wrong there. It looks as though God or the devil have been moving in mysterious ways. Russell added, what is even stranger is that this motion was tabled last night when MPs were debating blasphemy. Isn't that interesting? So there we are. We may refer to that some other time. But let us go back now to Deuteronomy chapter 12. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods, and destroy the names of them out of that place. Ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting in the light of what we're reading there about that service uh, in the school in uh, America but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there even unto his habitation shall ye seek and thither thou shalt come and thither shall ye bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks and there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto. Ye and your households wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. For ye are not yet as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth thee. We read, uh, that's enough for, for the moment. 
This is an interesting and important chapter which we're moving into, chapter 12. It's interesting, actually, that I, we, we've spoken about take heed. The number of times take heed occurs in Scripture. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, we saw before that I think it occurs about eight times. Well, there are three take heeds in this particular chapter. So it's an important chapter. God says take heed three times in it. So we should sit up and take notice when we get to them. The emphasis in chapter 12 changes from what we've been uh, looking at in the first 11 chapters. The previous 11 chapters were dealing with the question of obedience. Always getting the people to remember what God had said, what he had done for them, and to bring them into a state of obedience with God. In chapter 12, it now turns to the application of these principles that they have been learning for the first 11 chapters, and the principles of the way the people were to act when they actually came into the land. The chapter views the people as having come into the land. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land. They had moved from being a record of what has happened to them. Now they are assuming that they will be in the land and these, this is the way they be, to behave. It is important that we should accustom ourselves to consider that we have our portion in the land. We have our inheritance. God has prepared an inheritance for us from eternity. We are born of the Spirit of God, redeemed by the precious blood of our Saviour, in order that we might possess the inheritance that God has prepared and designed for us. God had prepared this land for his people. And similarly, God has prepared an inheritance for you and for me. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God has prepared a wonderful inheritance for us. Remission of sins and our inheritance are deeply linked in the mind of God. It is as much in the heart of a loving God that we should receive and enjoy our inheritance as that we should receive forgiveness of sins. They're joined together. You know, Paul was taken before King Agrippa in Acts. Acts chapter 26. He had appealed to Caesar and then Agrippa uh, said that he would like to, to, to talk to Paul. And he was brought before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And he testified as to his calling from the glorified Christ when, when Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus and uh, if you look at chapter 26 and verse uh, 12 he says whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests and at midday O king I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me then he heard the voice of Jesus 
was speaking to him. And he said, Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. Paul was being commissioned by Jesus to go to preach to the Gentiles. And here's what his, his, his mission was, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. As soon as these people received forgiveness of sins, they were guaranteed an inheritance. And the same with you and me. We can't, when we become Christians, we then have an inheritance in heaven waiting for us. Another great principle that we see in this chapter 12 is that God had preordained and covenanted this inheritance to the Israelites. It was a gift from God. You know, this unruly mass of people, this rabble going through the wilderness, as they wandered through the wilderness, disobeying and obeying alternately, they could in no way have earned an entitlement to this land flowing with milk and honey. God had preordained and covenanted this many years previously to their fathers. And now all they had to do was to go in and possess it in obedience and in faith. What a gift. It says it there that ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord thy God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it. What an opportunity, what a prospect lay before them. And now these were the rules. In chapter 12 it starts, these were the rules by which they were to live and worship in the land where they could rest on the word of God. That's all they had to do, obey the word of God. God wanted to show his people his great love for them. God wants to show you and me his great love for each one of us in sending his son to die on Calvary so that we can receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. A guaranteed inheritance. What an inheritance we have received and which will be completed when we get to heaven. But it is an inheritance which we possess now and enjoy today and on into eternity. Eternal life starts now when we accept Christ as our Savior. You know, have a look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read a big chunk of Ephesians here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's what God had given the... Jesus had said to Paul he was going to go to the Gentiles to enlighten them. And it says here, the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us, the ones believing according to the working of his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ in raising him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and authority and power and dominion, and every name being named, not only in this world, but also in the coming age. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And he has made you alive. Now he's talking to the Ephesians, but he's talking to you and me as well. He has made us alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the children of disobedience, among whom ye also had, or we also had our way of life in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our thoughts. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were sinful. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. It's a gift and has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus what's he saying here he says we've been made alive and we have Christ indwelling us through his Holy Spirit and where is Christ seated? Christ is seated at God's right hand in heaven. Therefore our position is with Christ in the heavenlies. We already are assured of our inheritance in heaven. And to whom is this inheritance given? John writing in 1 John 5 and 13 says, I have written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you know, that you may know that you have everlasting life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God we already have everlasting life the Bible says that as soon as I become a born again son of God I have eternal life and my inheritance is assured remission of sins and an inheritance they go hand in hand and so these chapters in Deuteronomy, starting at chapter 12, were written to those who had the inheritance. They were guaranteed this inheritance. Now, we know that the land into which they were going was 
was still occupied by the enemy. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of a time when God would subdue all enemies and restore all things. A time when the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child to lead them. That time will come. That time would come. But in the meantime they had to live in this land flowing with milk and honey but the Canaanites were still in the land and for you and me it's much the same scripture tells me I am not of this world but I still have to live in this world my inheritance my citizenship is in heaven but I still have to live down here as an ambassador in a foreign country and that is why the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his father and I think John 17 is one of the most lovely chapters in scripture Jesus prayed to his father he says now I am no more in the world but these you and me his disciples are in the world and I come to thee holy father keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are while I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name those that thou givest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled and now I come to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in them he wants us to be joyful Christians I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Keep them holy. Through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. The truth, who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have referred to these verses as we have gone through. Deuteronomy, the prayer of our Lord to his heavenly father I need to saturate my mind in these beautiful verses and apply them to my heart and seek to live in the light of them may God keep us pure in this sinful world in order to enjoy the inheritance the people had to totally obey, accept and believe the word of God there was no room whatsoever for compromise here these are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land nothing could be simpler nothing could be more definite or clear 
there was no room for doubt. They were specific decrees with a definite instruction to obey. Now, there's an important principle here for us as it was for them. One which is imperative if we are to live a life pleasing to God. And that must be our object. It is that man has to bow to the authority of the word of God. It does not matter as to whether man agrees or not. Or whether man may see the reason or not. What does matter? Has God spoken? If he has, then that's enough. There is no room, no need, for any further question. Let's look at a a couple of examples. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. We have the story of Abraham there. God said, Take now thy son, in verse 2 in chapter 22, God said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there uh, for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. God had spoken. That was enough for Abraham. Now turn to Genesis chapter 3. And verse 3. Genesis 3 verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. God had spoken. Eve permitted human reasoning as to the correctness, or otherwise, of what God had commanded and sin entered into the world. When God has spoken, as soon as human reasoning comes into the equation, Satan will speak words of doubt and lies into one's ears. Disaster follows, and communion with God is broken. Satan will say, God has given you the ability to reason and intelligence so you may use it. He does not expect you to accept everything in blind obedience. What is our answer when such temptation arises? What was Abraham's answer 
to such reasonings. It was total obedience to the word of God. God had spoken. And James 2.23 we read, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Abraham believed that God, when he had said that he would bless the nations through his son Isaac, all he had to do was believe and obey. He left the result up to God. He was quite willing to sacrifice his son, but he still believed everything that God had said to him. By obeying God, Abraham was accounted righteous, and he became known as the friend of God. Who's that old man over there? That's Abraham. Oh, what has he done? He's the friend of God. Wonderful. Imagine being known as the friend of God. Impossible. Jesus speaking. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Fruitful, obedient friends. That's what Jesus wants from you and me. So, we must obey. Look at Isaiah 55 verse 9. Why must we obey? Why must we not bring in human reasoning? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's what God says. This is a very simple and conclusive answer to the situation. The word of God is way above human reasoning. As the heavens are above the earth, so are the ways of God above all our frail reasonings. Isaiah 29:16. You turn things around. Oh, so often we do that, don't we? Turn things around. We get them twisted. You turn things around, shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to the maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. And that's what, that's what we're saying to God when we go against his commands and his word. We're saying to him, You've no understanding. You don't know the situation I'm in. When God speaks, we obey. Once one starts to bring human reasonings in where God has spoken, then we see error creeping in and darkness spreading in the thoughts of man. 
once we bring worldly reasonings into the ways of God then we see error creeping into our churches if every judgment every precept every statute were to be scrutinized by human reasoning then it is goodbye to peace with God it was so with the Israelites we will see in verse 8 it says ye shall not do after all the things that ye do here this day every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes well that's the way it is in the world today every man does what he thinks is right what he thinks God says rather than obeying God what was Peter's and the apostles uh, answer to those who sought to reason with them they had been preaching and they had been put in prison by the council and the senate and then the angel of the Lord had miraculously released them from prison they went back to preach again the next day and the council met uh, to consider the situation as to what to do with Peter and the apostles someone came and told them that the men were already there preaching again where they had been yesterday and so they were brought before them and when they were brought before them Peter and the apostles they sat them before the council and the high priest asked them saying did not we straightly command you that you should not preach or teach in this name we told you you weren't to preach in the name of Jesus what was Peter's answer God had instructed them to go and preach the gospel his answer was we ought to obey God rather than men we ought to obey God God had told them he says in verse 32 of Acts 5 we are his witnesses of these things God had told them to be witnesses and they were obeying the words of Jesus we ought to obey human reasoning would have said maybe you should come to some agreement with this after all the senate and the council are important people you could do an awful lot better if you worked along with them in some way no we ought to obey God rather than men the all sufficiency of the word of God was sufficient for Peter and it should be for you and for me it's the only safe ground upon which I may walk in communion with my God all of the ground is sinking sand 2 Timothy 3 the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable that means it yields a benefit for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the son that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works all scripture is beneficial the word of God I like that expression you know thoroughly furnished years ago used to get advertisements in the papers in Dublin uh, because of some quirk obviously with the rental law one used to see expressions and it was partly furnished house to rent partly furnished 
and it was because you had to have certain bits of furniture in in order not to create a long lease and a tendency that you couldn't get the people out in the end. Sadly today we see many Christians who appear to be partly furnished because they do not allow the Holy Scriptures to be applied by the Holy Spirit to all aspects of their lives. God has not been given complete tenancy of their hearts. They still permit a temporary tenant to occupy part of their heart. I remember I used to play with a little girl who lived down the road when we were very small, Marion. And she had an uncle who lived with them. And he used to come and go. We had a, a little apartment somewhere within the house. And he kept himself to himself. He didn't eat when we were there together. And he seemed to be completely separate. He, he lived in the house, but he wasn't part of the house. That's the way it is with many Christians. They want the Holy Spirit in their lives, but they want to keep him in a little compartment away from the general running of the house. All scripture has to be applied to all of our lives. People do not wish to submit to the word of God. And if you go on into 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read what a Christian should do. He should preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will keep heap up teachers to themselves according to their own lusts, tickling the ear. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will be turned to myths. But you, watch all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fully carry out your ministry. Apply the whole teachings of scripture, the sufficiency of the word of God to your lives. And that should make a difference to our Christian walk and our Christian lives. If we have not applied the word of God to our hearts, then when these wolves in sheep's clothing appear, those who want to tickle our ears with false doctrine and false myths, we won't be able to tell the difference. We won't be able to discern the truth from the error. The Israelites were to possess this inheritance. It says, all the days ye live on the earth. All the days that ye live upon the earth. Her inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It's unfadeable. And it has my name on the reserved label.
we have that inheritance we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and someday we will receive our final inheritance in heaven you know all this is summed up so well in a children's hymn we used to sing long ago there's a friend for little children above the bright blue sky a friend who never changes whose love will never die our earthly friends may fail us and change with changing years this friend is always worthy of that dear name he bears there's a rest for little children above the bright blue sky who love the blessed Saviour and to the Father cry a rest from every turmoil from sin and sorrow free where every little pilgrim shall rest eternally there's a home for little children above the bright blue sky where Jesus reigns in glory a home of peace and joy no home on earth is like it nor can with it compare for everyone is happy nor could be happier there there's a crown for little children above the bright blue sky and all who look for Jesus shall wear it by and by a crown of brightest glory which he will then bestow on those who found his favour and loved him here below. Amen.